Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm not a betting guy, but for y'all that are, there's Bet Online. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. View the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. What's going on, Big Blue Nation? We got a great episode of Believe in Kentucky today. We got BBN Royalty in here talking about the 2000-point club, Kentucky State Hall of Famer, UK Athletics Hall of Famer, Georgia Mr. Basketball, first-round pick to the Knicks in 86. I'm talking about Kenny Skywalker. Kenny, what's going on, man? Well, man, I tell you, it's, it's good to be with you, man, and I tell you, those are uh, you know, great memories, man. When I started thinking about the big blue nation and, uh, you know, Tony Delk and, you know, all of the other great players to, to play here, man, I'm just glad to be a part of it. Glad to be on your show today. Uh, I sure appreciate it. My name is Vinny Hardy. Y'all go to believe.com and anywhere else you get your podcast once this one's up and be sure to check it out. I know you'll definitely enjoy it. We're in June now. It's it's almost summertime. It's still spring technically, but how's you how's your spring and summer been going so far, Kenny? I'm just trying to uh, uh, just uh, getting getting going again, man. You know, after being locked down, you know, for you know about a year and a half right now, uh, I've pretty much been at home, kind of taking it easy, waiting for things to get better. Uh, I've been vac- vaccinated, got both of my sh- so I'm glad about that. And uh, you, I'm just happy uh, to just be uh, trying to get back to normal, man. I mean, glad that basketball is coming back, glad that uh, uh, things are kind of slowly getting back to normal, man. So I just want to get back out of the house. I want to get back over UK and watch the new recruits and stuff that we got coming in and the, all of the transfers that we're having uh, come in the program uh, in the last couple of years or so. So I'm just looking forward to getting over and introducing myself to the new people who I haven't met and just uh, cheering these guys on and, and, and anxious to see them get back out on the court. 
I know that they got a bad taste in their mouth from everything that went down last year. So I'm just anxious to see them, you know, get back to playing, you know, Kentucky basketball the normal way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you you got it right. Everybody is chomping at the bit. You know, Cal probably more so than anybody because nine and 16 just didn't didn't sit well with anybody. And, you know, he's anxious to get that taste out of his mouth, too. Oh, there's no question about that. Let, let's let's be honest. And I'm not, uh, uh, you know, trying to blow this off. I mean, last year was a tough year for, for everybody. Obviously, Coach Calipari has never been through anything like that. And uh, obviously, you know, the players, they probably had never been through anything like that. And I think the fact that uh, it threw them off of their normal routine, I think what Coach Calipari has always been really good about is uh, when these kids uh, graduate from high school, he usually can get them in town early, get them in summer school, get them on the schedule, get them on the weight program and work with these guys a couple of months in the summer and get a little bit of a head start. And of course, last year with COVID and everything, they didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, and I think that really affected the team a whole lot. I think this year, uh, things are back to normal. Most of the kids are in town right now. They're doing basketball camps and stuff throughout the state. So they're spending time together. They're they're in their normal uh, summertime workout routine. So I think the fact that they're going to have that, 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 that few extra months to get to know each other, I think that uh, is going to be very beneficial for the team. And I think the fact that we got a lot of transfers coming in, guys that have already played uh, big-time D1 basketball at other schools, that experience plus the good recruiting class that we got coming in, I think that's going to be – uh, really big for this team. So I'm looking forward to it. So I know Coach Cal is excited to be out there. You know, it's the first time that I think in his whole coaching career that uh, maybe people got down on him a little bit in terms of wins and losses. So I think he's eager to get back out and prove that, hey, look, I'm still the same guy that I've been uh, the whole time that I've been here. And he's ready to get back to winning. And I think they'll do that this year. You mentioned two things that you did a lot of while you were at Kentucky. And you mentioned before we start recording, you and Rex Chapman coming back in the summer and, and helping those teams, the, the 96 team with Tony Delk and Antoine Walker and those guys coming back in the summer. And you also mentioned the camps that they're doing throughout the state. They've been in E-Town, they've been in Union, they've been in Bargetown. You also went out throughout the state Mm -hmm. Before the season and after the season, how important are both of those things? The wars in the summertime and then getting out and about and, and interacting with fans throughout the state. I think that's huge. Uh, you know, I know a lot of fans that say that really that doesn't have anything to do with basketball. But we know in the state of Kentucky, uh, there are no pro teams here. Uh, you got some other great universities, whether it's Moorhead, Murray, Western, or Louisville. But Kentucky is like the state uh, school. And last year, there was a big, big disconnect between, I think, the players, the program, the coaching staff, and the fans, simply because we didn't get an opportunity to get out in the state, to do those basketball camps, to build those uh, relations, to go out 
and work with the, the, the middle school and high school kids uh, in terms of developing an identity and a relationship with the fans throughout the state. And I think it's big. It was big for me when I was at UK. Uh, I remember coming in as a freshman. Uh, there were a few guys that were playing in the NBA, whether it was Jack Givens or Rick Roby and those guys. It was always a tradition for those guys to come back in the summertime and, you know, build relationships with the new guys that are coming in. And that's what I tried to do when I was playing basketball. And at the same time, um, you know, when I was playing in pro ball, I mentioned that uh, Rex Chapman, Mashburn, and I would come back and, and work out with Tony Antoine Walker, Tony Delk, and all of those other great players on that 96 team. Uh, it was good for us, too, because we knew that we could go out and compete with these guys every day in the summertime and get better without, you know, getting hurt, being in a safe environment and playing against good competition. And I think they pushed us uh, to get in shape and make us better. And, we, and I hope that we did the same thing uh, with them. And I think that's the reason why, you know, guys on that 96 team, uh, you know, they have great relationship with all of the former players uh, that played before them at Kentucky, like Rex and, and Massburn and Jack Evans and guys like that. We kind of uh, showed those guys the way uh, to do it. And of course, they were hardworking. They were great. They had great attitudes. So I think those relationships you know, they last, you know, over the years. I jokingly said that I felt like I was a part of the team because we worked out with those guys and we was around those guys a lot. They made us better, and I think that we made them a little bit better as well. Absolutely. Now, you you grew to be 6'8", and we know, like, Anthony Davis famously, you know, his junior year to his senior year went from 6'3 to 6'11". How did that go for you? Were you were you six eight and a freshman in high school, or were you? When did you get to six eight? Did you have a crazy growth spurt like that? How did that go? I had a crazy growth spurt. You know, I was pretty much a normal size, uh, normal size kid. Uh, you know, up until like you know the eighth grade, and I remember going into the ninth grade. You know, um, I was uh, six two. And uh, summer between my soft, I mean, my freshman year in high school to my sophomore year, I went from about 6'2 to 6'5. And then uh, from my 10th grade year into my senior year, you know, I grew another three inches. So my growth spurt came a little bit later. So, uh, but I knew it would eventually come. I have three older brothers and they were all kind of tall. It just kind of took me a little time before me to to hit my growth spurt. And once I hit that growth spurt, I wasn't really, really good what I would call as a freshman and sophomore because I was growing so fast. It was taking me time to kind of get used to my body. I really didn't come into my own until I was going into my junior year of high school, had a great junior year. And then, of course, uh, was an All-American my uh, senior year in high school. But it took me a little time because um, I was growing so fast, um, kind of a little clumsy there for a minute. But once I got my coordination and everything uh, down, uh, it was really beneficial to me. Uh, like I said, I had a couple of brothers that played in high school uh, basketball. They were really good athletes. And I think I got a lot of my, you know, athletic ability uh, from them. It just took a little time for, for everything to catch up. Exactly. 
Exactly. Now, um, you talked about that that good junior year and that good senior year there, growing up in Roberta, Georgia. I'm a TBS kid, so I grew up watching the Braves and the Hawks. So I was Dominique Wilkins was my dude when it came to mm-hmm. yay. You being a junior and senior in Roberta, in the state of Georgia, was everybody in town pressuring you to go to UGA to kind of follow right behind him and go to Georgia? There's no question about that, Vinny. Um, I remember all of my high school buddies and stuff, man. I was being recruited by Maryland, Pittsburgh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Minnesota, of course, Kentucky. And, you know, Georgia being a home state school, and Dominique Wilkins being the star at the University of Georgia, I went to the uh, University of Georgia basketball camps mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And I must confess, you know, a lot of people asked me, they were like, who did you pattern, you know, your dunks and stuff, you know, after? I was a big Dr. J fan, tried to be like Dr. J, but Dominique Wilkins was actually my mentor in uh in high school. And I, when I used to go to the University of Georgia camp, used to play pickup ball with him in the University of Georgia players. Of course, he recruited me really hard to come to the University of Georgia. Uh, they kept saying, man, you can be the second coming of Dominique Wilkins, which, I mean, that was flattering. And, and to be honest with you, you know, if Kentucky uh, uh, wasn't in the picture, I think I possibly would have ended up at Georgia. But obviously, uh, like Tony growing up in Tennessee, you know, I mean, when Kentucky come calling man, and you get a chance to visit, uh, when you get a chance to visit UK, it's uh, it's one of those things, man, that it's just absolutely awesome. The facility, the fan base, the fame coaches that we've had at uh, Kentucky and plus uh, the notoriety that you get when you play for UK and you put on that UK uniform, it's something that's going to follow you for the rest of your life. Could I have had a good career at the University of Georgia? Absolutely. But if I was a football player, it would have been hands down an easy decision because we all know Georgia football is right there with Alabama and Tennessee, LSU, some of the other great schools in the SEC. But when it comes to basketball, man, I mean, it was flattering to be recruited by Georgia. But when you get that scholarship offer to come to the big blue, you know, that's where it's at. And you, you mentioned the football coming from Georgia as a, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grader, before you hit that growth spurt, did you, did you try your hand at a little football or were you <laughs> always a basketball player? No, I, I wanted to play football. Surprisingly, uh, even though football is big uh, in the state of Georgia, in my little hometown, Roberta, Georgia, which is about an hour south of Atlanta, and it's about 25 miles west of Macon, uh, we didn't get a football program at my school until my junior year in high school. Wow. And a uh, football coach saw me play basketball, and he – tried to talk me into coming out and trying out for the football team. But once my high school basketball coach found out that I was going to try for the football team, he called me in his office after school one day and he said, look, Kenny, if we already had a football uh, program and if you have been playing already since you were a kid, 
I will let you do it. But he said, you got scholarship offers on the table. Mm-hmm. We know that you're going to be a great basketball player. And the last thing I would hate for you to go out there on that football field and have a, a knee injury or ankle injury that will impact your basketball career. So I thought about it briefly. And of course, at the time, you know, you know, you're 15, 16 years old, you're thinking you're invincible. You're thinking you can do anything. So I was upset for about two or three days and then eventually got over it. But every time that I go home now, my, my high school coach is still around. Every time I see him, he, he always tells me, he says, son, aren't you happy that I didn't let you play football? Because, you know, if you would have went out there and gotten hurt, we never would have uh, got an opportunity to see you be the basketball player uh, that you did. So even though I wanted to play, thought about playing, um, my high school coach kind of killed that really quickly. And, and when I look back on it, I'm kind of glad that he did because, I mean, even though uh, I possibly could have went out there and made, who knows, could have probably been really good at football, but there's always that great chance of, of injury in any sport that you play. And I'm glad that uh, I chose the right sport for me. Absolutely. What's it like when you go back to Roberta? Even though you went to Kentucky, I bet you still get love from the hometown, though, don't you? Oh, there's no question about that. People rip me all of the time about, man, you 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 still should have went to the University of Georgia so we could have seen you play a little bit more. So I'm always going to get that from my classmates and my family because they're all Georgia Bulldog fans, and I get that. But the one thing that I love about uh, – you know, the people that I grew up with and my family and everything, even when I made my decision to come to the University of Kentucky, and they said, look, okay, we're going to support you while you're at UK, and we'll cheer for UK uh, when 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 they, uh, when they you play basketball, but we're for Georgia when they play football and everything else. Uh, Braves, Hawks, and all of that, that's just the way that the people in Georgia – that's how they're going to roll. But I, I'm glad that uh, now that a lot of people tell me, say, Kenny, still to this day, I still watch Kentucky. I still pull for Kentucky simply because you, you, you went there. So they showed me a lot of love and from that perspective. But they ripped me, you know, a little bit here and there, especially when Georgia beats uh, Kentucky in basketball, which is not a lot. But whenever they do, I usually get a few phone calls from – you know, friends and family that's always bragging, still got that University of Georgia Bulldog in them, and uh, they like to rip me a little bit for that. But for the most part, everybody, I think, is still happy. Even though I didn't go to Georgia, they're still happy that I went there, I had a good career, and and everything is still going uh, great for me today. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of, you know, calling and teasing, they got us last year down there in Athens, uh, and the the kid making the inbounds play, Severe Wheeler, is now going mm. to Kentucky. Yeah, it's it's some weird times in uh, college basketball now, and I'm really anxious to see now that with all of the transfers that we've had in the, in the last couple of years, I think it's going to make a big impact on college basketball. I think we see things are starting to change now. Um, you know, Coach Cal, when he first came to uh, Kentucky, he was known as the coach who pretty much started the one and done. And I think for the, you know, 12 years he's been here, uh, he's done it better than anyone else. 
But I think over the last couple of years, you see even programs like Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, some of your blue bloods, they're changing the way that they're recruiting now and they're going about things. Instead of trying to get, you know, five or six one and dones, I think that you're going to see these coaches now maybe go after maybe one or two one and dones and then try to mix in a lot of transfers uh, uh, with that type of talent to make it work. And I think Coach Calipari has always been very innovative when it comes to uh, adjusting uh, to the what's happening in today's college game. So for me, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the recruits are going, all of the recruits are going to do this year. Uh, I do think that uh, all of the, the the guys that we're getting in from uh, West Virginia, from Iowa, from Georgia, I think they all have been a part of great programs. And they most importantly, they all bring a lot of great experience to the table. So I think that uh, experience, again, with the good recruiting class that we got coming in. And let's face it, uh, all of the guys that are coming back from last year's team, guys like Keon Brooks and and Ware and these guys, uh, Dante Allen, they remember what happened last year. That was a very difficult season for them. So I think they're going to have a little bit of chip on their shoulder, a little bitter, bitter taste in their mouth to come back to prove to the big blue nation, the fans and the media that last year was a fluke. I mean, it was a bad year. I mean, uh, we had a lot of injuries. Uh, we had a lot of guys didn't, didn't quite live up to expectations. And of course, from a coaching uh, perspective, we lost Kenny Payne and a lot of good assistant coaches off the staff. And I think all of those things affected the way that Kentucky performed uh, last year. Now, we got everything intact, and I think these guys are going to have that fire and that hunger to come back and to do a better job this year, and I'm looking forward to the season. And the, a lot of the weaknesses, they they seem to have corrected them. They The bigs were a little thin last year. When you look at Sar and Isaiah Jackson, they got pushed around. Sheboy mm-hmm. coming in as a big physical mm-hmm. guy to go with where um, there was – all those scoring droughts, Sky. We would go five minutes, eight yeah. minutes without getting a bucket. He brought in a lot of shooters. Those experienced guys can shoot. Helen Grady, C.J. Frederick, uh, Tata Washington, the freshman, is you know, reportedly a good shooter too. So a lot of emphasis on on putting the ball in the basket, you know, to get the mm-hmm. offense back going too. I know they always say uh, defense wins championships, which I really do believe that. But the object of the game is score more points than the other team. You got to put the ball in the baskets and you and you got to have guys to do that. Um, I like the point that you made last year uh, about the big guys, not to just, you know, pick on SAR and some of these other guys, but you could just look at them physically and tell that they didn't have the opportunity to get in the weight room and develop these guys like they normally do. And we did get pushed around a little bit. Uh, and as good as Isaiah Jackson was, he was a freshman. He's a guy that I think he's going to be awesome in the NBA one day, but he's going to have to, you know, get in the weight room and put on a little weight. So I think our big guys obviously are going to be a little bit more physical this year. I don't think we'll get uh, pushed around near as much. You mentioned the shooters. I mean, there's all kinds of shooters, you know, on this team. Uh, I'm really 
looking to see if Calipari is going to make an adjustment with his offense. We know that he loves the dribble drive offense when he's got a lot of athletes and guys that can get to the basket. That's a good offense to run. But when you got the shooters that he has, you got to have guys that can penetrate the sub the defense in and get the ball to the open shooter. Uh, not to pick on uh, Askew or, or any of the other point guards last year, but the point guard position was a major problem last year because we really didn't have anybody that could get us into a decent offense and create shots uh, for other people. And I think that we got a couple of guys that's going to be able to do that this year. So you're, you're, you're about two to possibly three guys deep at almost every position uh, this year. And I think the toughest problem that Coach Calipari is going to have this year is trying to find minutes to keep all of these guys happy. And, of course, that's a good problem uh, for any coach to have because you know that the practices are going to be competitive. Guys are going to be fighting to try to get that playing time. And when you got that kind of competitive spirit in practice, that's kind of contagious. That filters out to the rest of the team. Uh, what made that 1996 team so great with Tony Delk and Antoine Walker and Nazi Muhammad and all of these guys were, they had so many guys. I think it was either eight or nine guys on that team that eventually played in the NBA. So every practice was so, you know, competitive. And I think when you got guys that love to play, that love to compete, that's going to push each, each other in practice each and every day, that's when you get better as a team. I see this team with a lot of talent, a lot of competitive practices, and if these guys bring it every day in practice, that should carry over to the game, and they should see a lot of success on the court. For sure, for sure. We had Goose Givens on a few weeks ago, and I asked him this, so I got to ask you the same thing. Um, we just talked about all the shooting that is coming in to the team this year. Uh, and how how they should be better at putting the ball in the in the bucket. If the three point line had been there when you were at UK, would you have stretched Stone out and 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 shot some? And would Coach Hall and Coach Sutton let you step on out there? Uh, so, see that's that's the era that we were in. I think uh, back when Jack and I played. Uh, obviously, there was there was no three point shot. It did not come into college basketball until 1986, the year after I graduated from UK. So uh, during that time, the the center position was featured, and then if you had a good forward, the mid range jump shot. Most guys operated from that 15 to 18 uh, foot area, and that's what we did, and that's the way that we played the game. Now, I would think because all of these coaches, um, you know, have the ability to to change with the game. And I think one reason why Coach Hall got out of the game, I think he saw the game starting to change a little bit. And I don't know if he really wanted to make those adjustments. But I would think that those coaches, uh, being the, 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 the students of the game the way that they are, I think that they could have adjusted and made those adjustments. Now, maybe we wouldn't have been shooting as many threes as uh, Calipari's team or Rick Pitino's team. I mean, uh, Coach Pitino really deserves a lot of credit, I think, from that perspective in terms of the three-point shot. Uh, a lot of people forget 
I played for Rick Pitino for two years with the New York Knicks before he took over the Kentucky job. And I remember uh, sitting down and having a conversation, you know, with him before he took the uh, Kentucky job or how he was going to change the game and utilize the three-point shot and bring back that running gun, the excitement that we associated with some of the great teams that Adolph Rupp had. Uh, all the way back in the 50s and 60s. So I think it's a it's a great weapon. Uh, I love uh, the fact that the game has really changed. I'm not one of those old guys that say, oh, no, our era is better and uh, we should do it this way. No, I wish that the three-point shot was in the ball, in the ball game because I think if that uh, shot was in the game and if I could have developed that, into my game at an early era, I think that would have made me a better pro uh, basketball player, the way that I could run and jump. And if I could have had the three-point shot uh, to my game, I think that's something that could have took, took my game to the next level. And uh, I'm quite sure Jack would have said the same thing too. I like to shoot and I like to score. <laughs> and if there was another way for me to score, I would have worked on my game to perfect that part of my shot, to make it a part of my, uh, make it a part of my game because it's such a big part of the game uh, today. And I, I tell people all the time, I think maybe I was born maybe about 10 or 12 years too soon to not experience that. But uh, I'm not mad at uh, the, the kids that uh, are great uh, three-point students. And it's not just, you know, guards anymore. you got guys like uh, – you know, Kevin Durant, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, all of these big guys that can step out and shoot the three right now. It's almost to the point now that if you're a center, that if you can't shoot the three-point shot, it's hard to put you on the court right now because it's just not uh, a lot of room uh, for big guys that just play in the paint and defend the paint, you got to be able to guard pick and rolls. You got to be able to do pick and pops right now. And if you can't do that, it's it's very hard to put you on the floor. Absolutely. You talked about how, you know, the mid-range was a thing when you played. And I, I know people still ask you about it. It's, it's still on YouTube right now. The mid-range jumper where you got the friendly roll to beat Auburn in the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> tournament final and, and yeah. Charles Barkley is crying. Did you, did you bust him about that every time you played the Sixers in the NBA? Did you, you have to bring that up to him every time you saw him? Well, uh, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, Charles and I have been friends since I was in high school and uh, Auburn probably was my third choice uh, to go to school. Um, it was actually closer to my home than the University of Georgia. And I remember when I was in high school, uh, Chuck Person and I would visit Auburn all of the time. And Barkley was like, man, if you guys come to Kentucky, I mean, come to Auburn, we can we can dethrone Kentucky and we can run the SEC for a couple of years. And I, I remember when I, uh, I talked to Charles and told him that I was going to Kentucky, he was like, man, you're making a mistake. You uh -huh. should come. Over a man, you know, we're going to beat you guys and all of that stuff. So my sophomore year, when I made that game-winning shot in the SEC, uh, you know, Charles laid on the floor and cried after that ball game. And every time I see him, 
always poke fun of him about that. I said, man, you just, you ain't nothing but a big baby, man. You just laid on the floor and cried out like a baby after I made that shot. Matter of fact, the last time I saw him was at the SEC, probably about four years ago. And uh, a guy that I was doing a radio sports talk show with uh, said, hey, Kenny, that's Charles Barkley sitting down there uh, uh, near half court. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to go up to him and ask him if he remembers that shot that you made in the SEC tournament back in 1984. I said, no, you're not going to do it. And he said, yes, I am. So he walked down on the floor. And he tapped uh, uh, Charles on the back of the shoulder. You could hear him whispering in Charles' ear. And Charles turned around and looked at me. And then he just kind of flipped me off real quick. <laughs> and, and I, he said, oh, that guy and everything. But Charles is a great guy. I, I love Charles Barkley. Um, he was a tough guy to compete against on the court because he talked trash. And he was one of the few guys that could talk trash and back it up. He was a big, bad man. Uh, they list Charles at 6'6", but Charles is only about 6'4". And when he was in college, he weighed over 300 pounds. And I remember when, and I remember when, when Kentucky played Auburn, of course, I played with Sam Bowie and Melvin Turpin, both seven feet tall. And every time we played against Auburn and Chuck Person and those boys, man, we had our hands full. And Barkley was a load in college. He got even better in the NBA. And I know a lot of people, you know, like to, to get on him uh, a lot about, you know, some of his takes and uh, uh, on the NBA guys and guys that are playing the game today. But I think people forget real quick just how good Charles Barkley was. A lot of people say, well, he didn't win a championship, so they don't put him in the same class as Jordan and, and Bird and Magic and some of the other great players from that era. But I put it this way, Charles Barkley is a bad guy. And I know people uh, talk a lot about Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson, and Zion is a great player. Uh, a lot of people say we've never seen a player like him before, somebody that's that big that can jump and do those things. Uh, yes, we have. We've seen it in Charles Barkley, you know, years ago. Now, Charles is not quite as tall as Zion, and Zion is probably a little bit more explosive in terms of jumping ability, but that's it. You know, I mean, outside of that, and when it comes to strength and three-point shooting and dribbling and handling the basketball, Charles Barkley can do all of the things that Zion Williams can, can do. So uh, to to have an opportunity to play against a great player like Charles, not only in the pros, but to play against him at Auburn before he was that big name. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to say that. And like I said, he, he talked a lot of trash. I didn't like the way that he played at times, but Hey, who's going to say something to Charles Barkley, man. He's a bad man. How hard was it to do what he did at the four spot at that size in the NBA in that era? Oh, definitely. You know, because when you're talking in the, you know, the NBA, you had, I mean, that's when the game was played differently at that time. I mean, I like the way that the game is played, but back in the NBA, you had some of those old Celtics teams, the Lakers team, the Detroit, the bad boy Pistons. I mean, there was a fight almost every night in the NBA and the game was played in the paint. 
And if you drove the ball to the basket, in expect, especially in the playoff, there wasn't, there wasn't no flagrant one. There was no flagrant two. There was none of that. If you drove the ball to the basket, especially in the playoffs, and you playing against the Celtics, uh, the Pistons, or whatever, you you looking around because if they didn't block your shot, they were going to try to knock your head off. That was just the way that it was. And when it came to playing in the paint and being physical, uh, there was nobody more physical than Charles. I mean Charles uh, Charles Barkley. Now I played with a guy with the Knicks, Charles Oakley. Who was it's just as tough as anybody. And this is when Charles Barkley was playing with the Philadelphia 76ers. Every every time that we played against the Philadelphia 76ers, Charles Barkley and Charles Oakley got in a fight. You know, before the game, after the game. I mean, those guys didn't like each other. And uh Charles Oakley wasn't gonna back down from anybody, and Charles Barkley wasn't gonna back down from for anybody. So whenever you played against Barkley, or like I said, the Piston, uh Dennis Rodman, Bill Lambeer, and Rick Mahorn and those guys, it was gonna be a fight. It was gonna be physical. And you knew that going into the uh game. So you just go in the ball game, understanding that look, this is gonna happen. Uh, this is no place for the soft hearted. You knew you had to put on your hard hat and you had to play hard. You had to play physical every night, whether you wanted to or not, because if those guys found out that you were soft, it was going to be a long, long night. I was looking up uh, bigbluehistory.net. It's got all the stats on it for UK. And out of all your great games, your Lord have mercy game to me. Your your career high scoring and rebounding. You put thirty six and nineteen on Kansas. Mm. What was yes. going on that night, man? Ooh, you just man, said, tell you, you was killing that me. was that was. Uh, I mean that that night. If I would have made my free throws, I, I forget how many free throws. I, I I think uncharacteristically. I missed about seven or eight free throws in that game. I could have, you know, very easily have been to about 45 or 46 points. But what I remember uh, about that game, it was against Kansas. It was in Freedom Hall. Uh, it was in my junior year. Uh, we got off to a one and four start, so we were struggling. And we really needed to win that ball game. And Kansas had a really good team uh, coming into that game. They had a freshman by the name of Danny Manning who scored 30 points himself uh, in that ball game. And I didn't know this until a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of years ago, John Calipari was a graduate assistant uh, on that Kansas team. Larry Brown was the head coach and coach Calipari was a graduate assistant. But in that ball game, uh, with the exception of not being able to make free throws in that ball game, I mean, I was just in the right place at the right time. I think I had probably about four or five dunks uh, in that ball game. It seemed like every rebound that came off offensively and defensively, I was just in the in the right place. I would just remember being so hyped in that game because Kansas is obviously a big-time program. We were struggling. We needed to win. Uh the Freedom Hall crowd was absolutely, you know, unbelievable. They they really got behind us in that ball game, and 
And it was just one of those ball games, man. Once I got going, the confidence just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And what made it really good for, for me, uh, we needed all of the points that I scored in that ball game because I think we we only won the ball game maybe by three or four points. It was a it was a nip and tuck ball game, you know, all the way to the end. And uh, I was able to uh, get a couple of key block shots and a couple of dunks towards the end of the game to to seal the ball game. But I just remember the the atmosphere in that ball game was probably as good as atmosphere. Uh, uh, that I've had, and the fact that we won the ball game that made it even better. You you got all the details. You you're right. You were you were twelve or twenty from the line, so you missed mm. eight. Mm-hmm. And and you guys won the game ninety two to eighty nine. So yeah, three point win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was exciting because you know you're having a good game and you're playing well and. And I, I and I would have to say this about that that year because that was a tough year for us. I think uh, our record was only sixteen and twelve uh, during the regular season. We didn't know if we were going to get into the tournament, and we got into the tournament as a twelve seed, and we ended up uh, going to the Sweet Sixteen, and and, and which was uh, Joby Hall's last game. But the one thing I can say about that 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 season, even though it was a rough season. We lost a lot of games. I like the way that we came together as a team. I think after that Kansas game where I scored the 36 points and 19 rebound, that was the game that I think Coach Hall basically said, okay, Kenny, you're going to be our score. You know, we're going to build this offense, you know, around you. And I think I averaged almost 23 points a game that year and almost 11 rebounds. So, uh, it was my best offensive uh, season at UK. I think my senior year, my scoring average went down to 20 points a game. But what I really remember about that that season was that I really had to pick up my game and be the leader on the team, vocal leader, scoring leader. It had to be a defensive uh, force. So it was a big responsibility, but I had some great teammates, man. Guys like Ed Davender, James Blackman, Roger Harden, Guys who, uh, over the course of the next couple of years, they started to make a name for themselves, but they were starting to figure out at, at that time how to be very good basketball players. And I couldn't have done it without those guys uh, because every night they found a way to get me the basketball, even though I was double team, triple team a lot, uh, playing the center position, undersized at 6'8". Uh, they really looked for me a lot and got me the ball a lot and it was a lot of pressure you know for them to do that because when you know they're packing defenses inside and and triple teaming you like that they had a lot of open shots that they turned down to still try to get me in the basketball so I'll never forget them for that your freshman year did it was it I mean kind of just threw you right in you played 31 games right at 600 minutes, so almost 20 minutes a game. Uh, were you expecting to play that much coming in? Was any did Coach Hall kind of plan out what your role would be? Or were you expecting to play more minutes, less minutes? What was your, your freshman year? What did you what did you expect going in? No, I, I, to be honest with you, I really wasn't expecting a whole lot coming in as a freshman. We had some good juniors and seniors on the team, and, 
you know, being a freshman uh, at, a, at a very good program like Kentucky, I was just happy with whatever minutes, you know, uh, that I could get. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of our big guns, uh, Sam Bowie, was missing his uh, second consecutive season. Uh, so that opened up a, a, a few minutes for me, I think, later on in the season. But back then, you know, even if you were a really good freshman like I was, and I was Georgia Player of the Year McDonald and a McDonald's All-American coming in, uh, you know, I was playing behind Charles Hurt and Derek Hoard, two guys who were juniors and uh, seniors and very good basketball players that had the experience. And uh, it was tough going against those guys in, in practice. So for the, the first, really the first 10, 10 games or so was basically just trying to feel things out, you know, for me, uh, trying to get used to the speed of the game, the strength of the, the big guys and the taller guys that I was playing against. So it took me a little time to get going. And it really wasn't until probably maybe five or ten games into the SEC uh, schedule where I'll never forget we were playing on the road um, at Vanderbilt. Uh, up until that point, I mean, I would come off the bench and I would score maybe four or six points here and there. But I remember it was a game that our star player, Melvin Turpin, got in foul trouble. And uh, Coach Hall had to play me early in the ball game, and I remember him uh, telling me uh, when I was going into the ball game. He said, "Now look, son, now you're going to get a chance to play some extended minutes here tonight." He said, "Don't get nervous. Just go out there and play." He said, "We're going to need you to play." He said, "Don't worry about anything. If you make a mistake, you know we're going to leave you in there because we need you in there because Melvin's in the foul trouble." And I remember. Um, I ended up scoring maybe about 14 points and I think six rebounds off the bench in that particular ball game. And we won that ball game. And from that point on, my, my playing time increased. My scoring average kept, you know, going up and up. And next thing I know, um, I think I ended up starting the last, I guess, three games of the regular season. And um, I played a lot, especially once we got into the tournament. But I think that's when Coach Hall really got his confidence in me to know the fact that I can trust him, you know, to be in the ball game and he can do his job and not panic and, 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 and be a problem for the team. So I think if it hadn't been for Melvin getting in foul trouble and forcing the coaches to play me, who knows uh, when I would have gotten that opportunity. But they always say when opportunity presents itself, you got to be ready to take advantage of that opportunity. And I was always blessed to play with some really uh, good guards throughout my whole time at UK. And I remember in that particular ball game um, um, at Vanderbilt, Dirk Minifield was our point guard. Uh, Dirk is still the all-time leader in assists at UK and probably should have his numbers hanging from the Raptors of Rupp Arena. I don't know why that has happened yet, but I remember him saying to me, Look, young fella, you can play this ball game. It's just like practice or when we're playing in the summertime. He's like, if you get out on the fast break, you want a lob, I'm going to throw it to you. If you post up strong and you want the ball, I'm going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps out when you have guys to have that type of confidence to know uh, what you can do and have the confidence to get you the ball and let you do what you do. And I had some teammates that recognized that I could do some special things at an early age. And I was just 
glad that I had the, the running and jumping ability uh, for them to put me in position to be successful. And, and you spot on with it again. Vanderbilt, 14 points. You, I mean, you got yep. the, you got it down, man. Down cold. <laughs> <laughs> you never. I mean, it's it's funny how you know you don't forget things. You know, all of all of these years, and you know, I've always been a student of the game, and we watched a lot of film. And you know, uh, it's just amazing how those things uh, stick out. You know, in your head. And like I said, it's been almost 40 years ago now since uh, that has happened. But you remember the you remember the good things like that. And unfortunately, you you remember the bad things probably more than some of the good things that you did. I've always remembered the tough losses and the things that, you know, I had throughout my career because you're always asking yourself, what could I have done maybe a little bit better to change the outlook of the game? Now, this has been the case even before you got to UK. It's, and Calipari says it now. Kentucky's not for everybody. It's a, it's a different animal when you come to Kentucky. The spotlight's different. The passion of the fan base is different. That, that, that microscope is different when you come to Kentucky. You're laid back and chill, guy, every time I've met you, uh, every time I've come across you. Was there ever a time when maybe you were a little bit overwhelmed by the stage that Kentucky is while you were at UK? Did it ever get to be you like, whoo, or were you always just able to kind of take it all in stride? No, I, I, I'm quite sure I was overwhelmed a couple of times, but I think I've always been the type of guy, as long as I got in that ball game and once the adrenaline started to to go, I mean, I'm just out there playing. I'm not really thinking about all of the other stuff. And I'm glad that I was that way. I had to had the ability to, to kind of block that stuff out. But with that being said, uh, probably the most overwhelmed that I would that I've ever been involved in UK basketball, and you probably ain't gonna believe this, was was my very first practice at UK. My 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 first practice at UK was uh, uh, the fall of 1982. And it was the very first time that Kentucky had did, well, back then it was called uh, Midnight Madness because you could not start the, the uh, big, it's called Big Blue Madness. Now you couldn't start it until 12 o'clock, 12.01 midnight. It was against the NCAA rule for you to start earlier than that. So my very first year at Kentucky, Coach Hall decided to do the very first Big Blue Madness. Mm. And they didn't know what to expect. So uh, at, at it started at 12.01, so about 6 o'clock that afternoon, all of these people started lining up around Memorial Coliseum. And me and Roger Harden, who was another freshman at that time, we were looking out our window. We were like, man, look at all of these people that's lining up just for a midnight madness practice. The most people that I played in front of in high school, my high school gym may have held maybe 1,500 people or something like that, 2,000 people. And I remember uh, the McDonald's All-American game, my senior year of high school was played at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. And we had about 9,000 people 
you know, for that game. And that was the most people that I had ever played in front of. Now, here we are, my very first practice at UK, and we had about almost 12,000 people <laughs> at a practice. And, man, I was so nervous, you know, uh, of this practice, you know. And, of course, a lot of people were there, to, you know, to see the freshmen and everything. I was Georgia Player of the Year, McDonald's All-American, uh, and everybody knew that um, – I could run and jump and I was known for my dunks and everything. And I remember doing dunks in, in warm up. And with every dunk that I did, the crowd just kept getting louder and louder. And I could always jump, man. I was doing dunks that I didn't even know that I could do, you know, because I was so hyped and so pumped up and everything. And I remember after the, the practice was over. Sam Bowie wasn't playing that year because uh, he was sitting out with a broken leg. And he came over to me after practice. He said, man, the only other somebody I've ever seen dunk like that is Dominique Wilkin. He yeah. said, man, he said, man, you were like a Skywalker out there. And <laughs> when he said Skywalker, it was some reporter. I think Jerry Tipton was on the side. And Jerry was like, Skywalker, you know, and all that. And from that point on, that's the name Skywalker. That's 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 how I got it. But that was that was probably the most nervous that I ever was for a UK uh, practice or a basketball game. But and that's a hard thing, I think, for some young kids to adjust. You you mentioned that a lot of these kids, they're great uh, high school players and they think that they are ready for all of their attention and everything that comes along with, with UK. And I think that they all think that they're ready until you get out there. And uh, it's just something that you have to get used to. Some guys can make that transition a little bit better than others. But the main thing is when you get out on that floor, you got to try to block all of the other stuff out and just concentrate on your craft, trust all of the work that you put in and hope that it pays off. Yeah, for sure. So that that uh that show you put on for everybody in Memorial Coliseum that that meant that had they got you good and ready to go out and win the dunk contest in 1989, then, right? Well, it it took a little time to kind of build up to 1989, but I always knew I was a good dunker, and the people that watched me play at UK, I mean, they they knew I was a good dunker. I mean, at least a good in-game dunker. Uh, but they never they never knew the style and creativity that I had. So mm -hmm. when I went into the NBA, uh, you know, Patrick Ewan was a teammate there with the Knicks. And Patrick and I became really good friends. And my first year, you know, with the Knicks, I would, you know, hang out after practice and I would do all of these dunks and everything. And Patrick uh, always tried to convince me to go to the NBA All-Star game to be in the dunk contest. So my first two years in the NBA, every year when the season started, I would tell them, man, I'm, I'm going to go, I'll go with you to the NBA, I'll do the NBA dunk contest and everything. And, and uh, for two years, every time the All-Star game rolled around, I changed my mind and I would come back, I would come back to Kentucky uh, during the All-Star break and I wouldn't compete. And then finally in, in my third year, uh, Patrick was like, look, man, if you go out there, man, you can win this dunk contest, man. And finally, in my third year, I decided to go. And um, 
everything was great up until about two days before the dunk contest. We were playing our last game before the All-Star break in, the, in Atlanta against the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, right before the game against the Hawks, I was getting on the bus to go play that game. And uh, I found out that my father passed away right before the dunk contest. And uh, Patino was my head coach. So I told him before the game, he said, look, Kenny, uh, go home and be with your family. Uh, he said, if you want to do the dunk contest, fine. He said, if not, we certainly understand, uh, you know. And, and I said, well, let me go home and talk to my my, my mom and my family and then uh, – I'll let you know what I'm, what I'm going to do. So I went home and I wasn't going to do it. And actually my mom was like, look, you go out there, you do the dunk contest. If your dad had been, been here today, he would wanted you to see you go out there and do it. He would have been watching it on TV. And she said, we got everything here. She said, go take your mind off of it and, and go. Do it. I have to give my mama a lot of credit for, 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 um, um, making me go do it. But once I got out there, uh, Patrick Ewan and Mark Jackson was my teammates and they were the biggest cheerleaders that day. Mm-hmm. And Patrick came up to me before the game and he, I mean, before the dunk contest, he said, now, look, I'm going to bet all of this money on you because nobody's going to pick you to win. He said, I know you're going to win it. And he said, once you win it, he said, you don't have to worry about it, uh, anything else. Uh, I'm going to take care of you to, for the whole weekend. And, of course, I wasn't really thinking much about that. I was just trying to get my mind right for the dunk contest. And it was a good opportunity for me because Michael Jordan didn't compete that year. And, of course, Dominique was setting out because of an injury. So my toughest competition was Spud Webb and Clyde Drexler. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we were all worried about Spud because Spud had won it a couple of years before. And being only 5'7", you know, everybody likes the little guy, you know. So he was the tough guy, you know, in the early rounds and everything. But it ultimately came down to me and Clyde Drexler. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm here to tell you, you know, it, it was just like that night in Memorial Coliseum. I got off to a slow start in the first round, but I started to build momentum in each and every round. So by the time I got to the finals, man, I tell you, you know, I had that adrenaline going. And what made, I think, a lot of my dunks uh, really cool, even to this day, I don't have big hands. So I can't palm the ball like, you know, Michael Jordan and and those guys. So a lot of my dunks, I had to cuff the ball uh, because I couldn't dunk it. And I think when you cuff the ball like that, it gives it a, a more dramatic flair to it because you're basically sticking your whole arm down in the rim. And, of course, uh, again, my dunks are just like Dominique Wilkins. When you watch me and Dominique dunk, we basically do the same dunks, the 360 windmills and stuff like that. And we both are tall, slim guys, but we dunk with a lot of power. And I think uh, as the, the rounds went on, that momentum started to pick up, man. And, uh, again, I, I look at the slow motion of some of those dunks from the dunk contest, and my head was eye level to the rim on some of those dunks. And when I look at that now, of course, I'll be 57 years old next month, and I'm going, man, I'd give anything in the world to be able to do that. You know, right now, of course, when you're young and you're doing stuff like that, you're somewhat taking it uh, for granted. But uh, I love that era of the dunk contest because all of your best dunkers, Dr. J, Vince Carter, 
Kobe Bryant, all of your high flyers uh, did the dunk contest. Mm -hmm. uh, today, I think if you got all of your best dunkers, Blake Griffith, LeBron James, and some of these guys in there, they can have a, dunk, uh, a great dunk contest and put on a good show. But it seems like over the last couple of years, it's kind of lost a little bit of that luster of what it is because you don't get the big name guys to get out there and do it anymore. But uh, that that dunk contest uh, definitely put me on the map as far as the NBA is concerned. And when you talk about some of the best dunkers in the game, people still to this day bring up that 1989 NBA dunk contest. And that's always a great memory for me. Absolutely. And you and Dominique, you know, doing some of the dunks, y'all were both two-footed jumpers for the most part too, right? That's right. And that's another thing that people remember about me. I could I could jump off of one leg and, and do it fairly effectively, but it was just something about getting what they call that athletic step. When you can get that athletic step, I, I, I just felt like I could explode more mm -hmm. by uh, jumping off of uh, two feet. And my thing was um, by jumping off two feet, I could measure up if there was any type of weak side help that was coming or if there was a big guy that was trying to meet me at the rim, I felt like I was more explosive, you know, uh, coming off of two feet. And I felt like with my explosiveness, I don't care how tall they were. If I can get off the floor quicker than you are, chances are I'm going to be able to posterize you if mm -hmm. I can get there quicker than you are. I don't care how big you are. And that's the way that I, tried to play the game and that's the way that I tried to attack the basket. And that's the reason why I say uh, uh, Michael Jordan might've been a better uh, dunk contest uh, uh, dunker than Dominique Wilkin. But when it comes to in-game dunks, yeah. the only guy that probably had better in-game dunks than Dominique, maybe Vince Carter, uh, the way that he could dunk. But the one thing that uh, you knew that was going to happen with Dominique Wilkins, if he got his steps together, he was going to put you on a poster. Mm -hmm. And I watched him play a lot, and that's the exact same thing that I tried to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, of course, you mentioned you're playing for the Knicks and Coach Patino, being from Georgia, the Hawks were down there. They just met in the playoffs. Did you did you see the Hawks taking the Knicks in five? How did you see yeah, that? I, I, I did. I, I put it this way. I, I knew that it was a bad matchup for the for the Knicks. Uh, the Hawks got an underrated, underappreciated team. Uh, when you have a point guard that can constantly uh, live in the paint like uh, Trey Young, um, that's going to be problems for anyone. They got athletic bigs. Uh, that can step outside and, and, and make threes. And then they got um, they got a center, a proven center that can uh, protect the basket. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what you say about Nate McMillan. Uh, he's an underrated and unappreciated head coach that's been around. So I, it was a tough matchup for the Knicks. But with that being said, um, I felt bad for Julius uh, Randle for the Knicks. I mean, he was their top scorer and their number one gun all year long. And I thought that he was forcing it a little bit, uh, oppressing a little bit against uh, the Hawks. And I think uh, 
that put a lot of pressure on other players to try to step up and take up some of the slack, which uh, outside of D Rose, uh, nobody else was able to do that. So it was a bad matchup for the Knicks. Uh, you got to get a, give the Hawks a, a lot of credit. They came in with a good game plan. They, uh, they shut Julius Randle down. And uh, they pretty much took the uh, Madison Square Garden crowd, you know, out of the ball games, and and that's the big thing because the one thing that New York has always had going for them, even when I played, is that home court advantage when you get the Madison Square Garden crowd into the ball game. But when you take the crowd out of the ball game, that kills a lot of your energy. So you got to give the Hawks a lot of credit um, for winning the series. With that being said. I'm not surprised that they won. I'm surprised that they won it so easily. I thought that it would be at least, you know, a six or seven game series. But I think the Knicks should be happy that they finally got back to the playoffs. I think they need to try to concentrate on maybe getting a, a big guy. Um, and I know Derrick Rose uh, did an outstanding job for him this year, but they need to try to find a point guard. I think that can solidify that position. I think if they can get a decent point guard and a center, uh, I think they're pretty close to being very competitive in the East. Absolutely. So we're down to eight now. Who, who do you see coming out of the East and coming out of the West with these teams that are left? Well, I, I, I've been disappointed in Milwaukee uh, in the first couple of games. I really thought that uh, that series would be a little – tougher than what it's been so far, especially since James Harden got in, got hurt in game one. So very disappointed in uh, Milwaukee that they didn't uh, play better, at least in the last game. Now, the, I don't think the series is over, but it's a must win game three. If they win game three, then there's a great chance that, that they can win game four. Now you got a series again. But with that being said, um, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that Atlanta went in and then stole uh, the first game against Philly, you know, uh, I don't think you get a panic button on Philly yet. They still got uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, a lot of people say that he might have been the, uh, the MVP of the NBA this year if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, so he's going to be a force to rough working with. That series is not over with it. But with that being said, uh, I think Philly's got a chance. The Hawks certainly would have a chance if they get there. But the way that it's looking right now, the way that Kyrie and, and KD's playing, and if they get Harden back, you know, healthy, I, it's just going to be tough, I think, for anybody to beat them. But with that being said, uh, don't count the Clippers out. I know they didn't look good most of the time doing uh, the, the series against Dallas, but they got two of the best two-way players in the league when you're talking about Paul Jordan and Quiet Leonard. Uh, those two guys are, are enough to beat uh, anybody. The West, I mean, uh, Devin Booker, Paul, uh, uh, I mean, what, what, what they, uh, DeAndre Ayton, the way he's playing, uh, Jokic out at Denver, I mean, he's the MVP of the league. This is probably as wide open that I've seen the NBA in a, in a long, long time. But I think that is ultimately probably going to come down to, I would like to see a Clippers and, and possibly uh, uh, Brooklyn Nets in the, in the finals. I think, uh, I think that will probably be 
good for the NBA because I think uh, Kawhi Leonard is a guy that have won a couple of championships. He's, a, you know, MVP of the finals. KD, obviously, he's been there. Kyrie has been there. You got star priorities. You got two good teams, a couple of good coaches. That's who I think it's going to come down to. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a fun series for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Now, of the guys that have come after you at Kentucky, who who most reminds you of yourself? Whose game do you see yourself in most of, of some of these guys that have come after you throughout the years at Kentucky? Oh, that's, that's a real good one right there. Um, I tell you, uh, the one guy that I was always a real big fan of, especially the one year he played at Kentucky was uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Hmm. Uh, I think, I think he's the one, I think he, he was that guy at six, eight, that was that long athlete that could run a jump, um, could lock you down on defense, uh, block shots. I mean, he literally could do everything. And it was a shame, you know, his first year, second year in the NBA, you know, he messed up his uh, shoulder and he hasn't been the same ever since. So his pro career hasn't gone quite as uh, well as I thought that it would go. And, and plus, he struggled with his outside shot. But I always liked his energy and effort, the way that he uh, approached the game. I thought that he was a great uh, compliment to Anthony Davis. Of course, you know, Anthony Davis was uh, an all-generational type of player. You know, he would have been good anywhere he went. But uh, but when 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 Anthony Davis was struggling, which wasn't a lot, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist was that guy, at least in college, that mm-hmm. could put the team on his back and carry the team without scoring a lot of points. Just mm-hmm. his energy, his effort, his leadership, and the way that he played the game, I always admired that, you know, about him. And you know, he was a young man that grew up in a in a tough situation up in New Jersey and had to overcome a lot, you know, in life, you know, a lot of people know about his stuttering problem and stuff that he had as a kid and stuff like that. But to overcome all of that and to have the type of uh, career that he's had in basketball and all of that, uh, like I said, the only thing that I, I feel bad for him is, you know, the injuries that hit him early in his pro career. We never did get him, get a chance to see him, be the type of pro basketball player that I think that he could have been. Absolutely. Got a couple more for you, man. Scott, it's been so much fun. You you came on my other little podcast a couple years ago, my Cats Talk Wednesday show, when, when my dad called in and, and my buddy TB co-hosted. And you talked about how important it was to get your degree in communications. And, of course, you've done lots of radio shows throughout the years there in Lexington. Were there Growing up, being a communications major, were there people, anybody that stood out in Roberta on TV or on the radio or nationally that, you know, you kind of wanted to pattern yourself after from the communication standpoint or the media no, standpoint? Uh, no, I'll tell you, uh, uh, growing up, of course, uh, in, the, in the late 70s and uh, the games and stuff that we could get on TV, the, the NBA games, uh, uh, Brent Brent Marsberger was the was the big name guy that did all of the the NBA and football and stuff like that. So I always uh, you know liked his style. 
the way that he called the games and stuff. And then, of course, as a kid, um, my I mean, even though I'm from Georgia, and I always pulled for the Hawks and the Falcons because they were the, the home state school. But the team uh, that I really liked growing up was the Phil- Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Dr. J was my idol growing up. So I uh, love the way that he played. And a lot of people forget, before Michael Jordan came on, Dr. J was the guy that I think everybody wanted to be like because of the dunks and everything. Dr. J was uh, my favorite player and probably my second favorite player um, was George the Iceman Gerben because I was built like him. He was tall and slim and, of course, he could finger roll and do all of that stuff. And and I just remember being just a young kid watching the games with my older brothers at the time. And, you know, Brent, Ber- uh, Brent Musburger was doing, you know, a lot of those games. So I just remember his style and everything uh, that he had when I first started watching the game. And then, of course, you come to uh, Kentucky, you know, K. Wood Leffert was yeah. probably the biggest guy, you know, uh, you know, in college basketball at that time. Of course, he was calling games for Kentucky. So I always like to listen to K. Wood call the game. But probably my favorite uh, announcer in terms of calling the games ever was uh, Marv Albert uh, with the Knicks. You know, of course, he the, he was a longtime voice of the New York Knicks before he started working for TNT and started doing all of the NBA games. But I remember Marv Albert and Walt Clyde Frazier, you know, doing the games with the Knicks. And, you know, of course, Marv Albert's, you know, he's got that that move, gorgeous move. And, you know, he's got that, that sound. So I've always enjoyed any announcer or anybody who's calling the game, even even Dick Vitale. I know a lot of people say, oh, Dickie B gets on my nerves and all of that. But mm-hmm. Dickie B loves the game, and he's given a lot um, to the game. And he genuinely gets excited, you know, when he calls the basketball game. And he's a good announcer. I know a lot of people feel like he gives the ACC schools a little too much credit. And stuff like that, but he's he's a big time fan. I enjoy uh, listening to him also. How cool is Clyde Frazier? Just, I mean, you you got to meet him and be around him a lot. How how cool is Clyde? Kid? Now, uh, uh, one thing I like about Clyde, Clyde is a lot of people don't uh, know this. Clyde is from Newton, Georgia, and uh, he didn't go to a big time school. I think he went to Southern Illinois, mm. uh, so he went to a small school. And um, of course, I. Knew a little bit about him when they won the championship in 71 and 73 in New York. But, you know, that as, that's as a player. And as a player, you know, he was a tremendous point guard, a great uh, defensive player, could really handle uh, the ball and get the team into their offense. But as an announcer, man, he had a he had a real smooth flow and a smooth style. I mean, I mean, uh, Clyde's um, vocabulary. I mean, I had to go get the dictionary after the game, you know, with some of the words that he would be using. It's like, man, what did that mean? But he just had that smooth style. He dressed apart. He always had on the matching suits and the and the hats and everything. You know, he had the game. He had the style. He had the charisma. And obviously, um, I think one of the great things about playing in New York and winning championships like like Clyde did, obviously he can handle the the pressure. A lot of people can't handle the pressure of playing in 
in New York and everything that came with it. It seemed like uh, those early Nick teams in the, in the late 60s, in the 70s, seemed like they em- embraced that pressure. You had guys that wanted to go to New York and be a part of something special. Uh, over the last few years, um, and it may have a little bit to do with the Knicks uh, owner. A lot of people in the NBA don't like him, so it's hard to uh, attract free agents. But uh, for whatever reason, you know, guys don't like to go to New York up until this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, guys have wanted to stay away from New York. I'm hoping now that they're back winning again, maybe some of these big-time free agents will go uh, look to go to New York because if you can win, and play in New York, you can play anywhere in the NBA. It's the toughest crowd uh, by far to play. And when New York is right, when the Garden is rocking, mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's a tough place to uh, for opponents to play. And hopefully, we can get back to getting uh, really good teams up there to have that type of atmosphere again. Absolutely. Now, who's who's got the stronger suit game? We we just talked about how how much of a dresser Clyde is. If you had to pick one, Clyde Frazier or Calvin Murphy, whose who's suit game are you picking? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I forgot about Calvin now. Uh, he, I mean, those guys now for the, from, the, from the 70s, and they're both from the 70s, man. I, I tell you, that was uh, the 70s was a great era. That was my favorite era, whether it, whether it comes to style, music, or whatever. Uh, it's going to be hard to beat. Uh, Clyde, man, because uh, I I got a I got a T-shirt. It had to be somewhere about a, the year seventy. Had to be about seventy two, seventy three when the Knicks were winning championship. Mm-hmm. I got this T-shirt of Clyde, Clyde Drexler in this suit and this big overcoat and this uh, this big Apple hat <laughs> in front of a Bentley. Uh, in front of uh, in front of Madison Square Garden, and that's how Clyde was rolling. You know, pretty much every game. Yeah. I mean, people. You know, they obviously packed the garden to to see him play, and then after the game, whether it was going out to dinner or Studio Fifty Four or whatever, he was hanging out wherever wherever Clyde went. Everything was on the house. You know, he was there. He was dressed to the part. I mean, it's, it's just going to be hard to be, it's yeah. going to be hard to be Clyde, you know, I mean, and of course some of these young, younger guys, like a guy like Westbrook, <laughs> uh, Dwayne Wade, some yeah. of these guys, they, they try to bring their fashion game uh, to the table and they do a good job, but it's, I'm, I'm still taking Clyde, man. I mean, even all of these years later, I'm still taking Clyde. That's it. That's it. Man, last Last thing I got for you, man, of of all the players in Kentucky that, that have played before you and the guys that have come after you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but when you when you when everybody's back together for Big Blue Madness or everybody's together at different events here and there and everywhere, who's the guy or guys before you that you like to kick it with that you always want to make sure you holler at? And who's some of the guys that have come after you that you've enjoy getting to know and kick it with man that's a that's a great question man and uh i tell you it's 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 so many of them man but i'm gonna go from the oldest oldest guys down to some of the younger guys that i like probably from the from the older guys uh 
the two the two guys that I really like to kick it with is uh, Jack Givens and Dan Issel. You mm-hmm. mentioned at the very start of the show, we're the only three guys, I think, in the history of Kentucky basketball to score over uh, 2,000 points. Uh, Dan is number one. I'm number two. Jack number three. We do a lot of events together. And, man, it's just good to just sit down and kick it with those guys and listen to some of the stories, you know, that they tell involving UK basketball. So I almost I always got uh, respect uh, for those guys. Uh, and then uh, right after that, uh, I got Rex Chapman because Rex and I, you know, became really good friends, you know, over the years. And we played together for a couple of years in the NBA with the Washington Bullets. So I got to put Rex in there. Uh, and then the other guys that I uh, really admire and really like are, are uh, Jamal Masburn, uh, because I think out of the modern guys, I think Masburn is a key guy uh, in terms of the UK basketball. If Rick Pitino don't com- convince uh, uh, Masburn to come here, I don't, I'm not for sure Tony Delft and Walter McCarty and a lot of those other guys don't come to Kentucky. So I think Masburn is a fun guy to talk to and kick it with. Plus, he's super cool. And then the other two guys, and I'm not just saying it because, you know, you guys do a show together, but I've always been a fan of Tony Delk. You know, Tony Delk is uh, right there. Uh, Keith Ogans, you know, uh, top five all-time scorer at UK. Uh, So I have a lot of respect for those guys because it takes a lot to do what those guys do. And probably – a lot of guys off the 96 team and, and, and uh, probably the only other guy outside of the guys off the 96 team would be Tayshaun Prince. I admire what he did, you know, in the league and winning the championship the way uh, that he carried himself. But to be honest with you, Vinny, uh, man, the brotherhood that we got here at Kentucky, uh, you know, it's special. I know it's a little bit different now because we're dealing with the one and dones because you don't get a chance to, you know, to see the guys grow and develop like a lot of us guys did. But man, whenever we get together, man, I mean, it's just, it's just love and it's respect. And I think appreciation all around because, uh, man, it's hard to play at Kentucky. Uh, you got to have uh, thick skin to play here. You got to have a lot of confidence in your ability. Uh, you got to have the ability to, uh, to stay with it when things are not going well and, the media is being hard or the fans are being hard on you. But I think all of the guys that I, that I just mentioned, they had the ability to uh, block all of that stuff out and still get the job done. And to talk to those guys and just listen to some of their stories and some of the things that they went through, it makes you appreciate, you know, the things that you were able to accomplish in your career because you know just how difficult it is to play at a school like Kentucky and to have so many other guys to look at you with that same type of respect. That's that's a good feeling. That's awesome. That's awesome. We talked about the fashion. We talked about Clyde. We talked about Kevin Murphy. The times I've gotten to come to Rupp Arena and, and cover games, oh, cover every one of them, but I've, I've covered some games and Got to talk with you and seeing you. There's times I've seen you. Your suit game is strong. Um, I've seen you where you come casual with the casual yep. shirt and the jeans, and you got the backpack on. You a little more yep. laid back. Either way, you come strong with it. And the sponsor of our show is, is La Terrain. They make excellent watches. 
They got different bands, different colors, different styles you can get. Dave and Ben uh, have been sponsoring the podcast. Tony has been endorsing the La Terrain watches for a long time. So if you're in the market for a watch, can he get you a La Terrain watch to set off the suit or the casual look? Whichever way you decide to roll, La Terrain has got you. LaTerrain.com. Well, I love that, bro. I mean, uh, the thing I like about uh, fashion, and I have to give Coach Hall uh, this credit uh, for, for this. When I was playing at UK, uh, it was mandatory that, like, when we played games on the road, we had to be clean shaven. We had to wear a uh, coat and tie. And I asked Coach Hall one time, I said, Coach Hall, I see these other teams, they traveling, they traveling in sweatsuits and jeans and all of that stuff. I said, why do you make us wear a coat and tie and all of that stuff all the time? He said, son, if you look good, you play good. If you look like a team, you play like a team. It's a, it's, it's a mindset. And uh, that always stuck with me. So when I got drafted to go play for the Knicks, man, you know, you're talking about the maybe the fashion capital of the world living in New York and all of the guys on the team, man, I tell you what, we had guys that had mink coats and suits and all kinds of stuff. So you had to step up your game, you know, in order to just roll with the fella. So I took it to a different level when I got to New York, but I've always been a guy, man, you know, whether it comes to eyewear or jeans or suits or whatever, I, I've always been a guy that say, I want to push the, the envelope when it comes to, to fashion. You know, I don't want to be just the normal old guy. I want to, I want to go against the grain a little bit. And that's what I try to do at times. So I, I, I like at times I like to dress up when the occasion calls for it. And then I like to dress down and be casual at, at times, I mean, just depending on the event and the mood uh, that I'm in. But I want to always show that versatility. And when it comes to uh, style and fashion, since I can't run and jump like I used to, uh, I, I might can't look good on that court anymore, but I can look good in my suits and my casual wear. So that's what we try to do. That's right. So, yeah, man, this is been such an honor, Kenny, man, to be able to, to chop it up with you for a little bit and we've kind of bounced around with old school, talking about what's going on now, what we're looking forward to with the team next year and the roster. We tried to hit it all, man, and I appreciate your knowledge and insight on everything we talked about, man. It's been a lot of fun. Well, it's I've always said that the one great thing I think anybody that has played the game and guys that have played at Kentucky and guys who have gone on and played in the league uh, – I think we all like to go back down memory lane. So, you know, we can't play anymore, but you got those memories of those great games and the great teammates and coaches that you, that, that you play with and play with and built relationships with. And uh, those things never go away. And uh, matter of fact, over time, I think they get stronger. So for me, uh, you know, when I wasn't playing, I had the best seat in the house and I've gotten a chance to meet some of the, not the, not only the best players to ever play this, play this game, but some of the best people to ever play this game. And a lot of it happened here uh, with my connections at the University of Kentucky. So anytime that you want me on the show, man, I'll be more than glad to come on and sit down and kick it and chop it up with you, man. I mean, I think, I think we got a lot to look forward to. I think we're going to have a really good uh, basketball team next year and I think that these guys are eager to get back out on the court to erase some memories from last year and I think it's going to be a good season. 
Yeah, we'll be here before we know it, and they'll be looking to to get things back on track. It's going to be fun to watch. There's no question about that. Y'all be sure to rate, review, subscribe, share the podcast, tell your friends, believe.com, anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can get this episode with Kenny Skywalker. For Kenny Skywalker, this is Vinny Hardy. It's been another episode of Believe in Kentucky presented by Bet Online. Y'all take care and we'll holler at you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.